Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. Unfortunately, this week we are not joined by our regular third co-host Brian, but in a, uh, I would say, an upgrade. We've got Becca and Dave McKendry, who you know from the internet, as well as various other films and projects. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey. <laughs> Internetly known. Internetly known. I love it. <laughs> I've known Becca and Dave for fucking years from being San Diego Comic-Con neighbors. Yeah, it's yeah. like um, almost, I'd say, eight, nine years now, or actually even longer, because we started doing San Diego Comic-Con while we still lived in New York City. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it'd be like close to a decade now, because um, we, the Fangoria booth, Dave and I worked for Fangoria for like 15 years, I guess about 13 years um, that we were with Fangoria, and we always had the booth directly next to you guys at Comic-Con, and so we've known each other forever. Yeah, and then you guys have advanced to, you know, working with Blumhouse and doing all these podcasts and making movies, and I'm still at the Geekscape booth every year. It's, in the- <laughs> it's okay. It's a good place to be. Wait, wait, who is this again? Who are we talking about? <laughs> so, no, no, Geekscape is a good place to be. And hopefully we'll see you guys at Comic-Con this year. I don't think we'll be at a booth, but um, yeah, it's we'll be a, wandering, we'll be wandering around with our kids, um, yelling at them. So you'll see us then. Well, I'm just saying, you know, if you have some DVDs that you want to sell at Comic-Con, I think I know a booth that will have you for an hour or two. Oh, that could be fun. Right. We'll just show up and hang out and let you go. We'll just leave the kids and they can sell them and we'll go off no, and wait, get, do we get drinks. Do we get guest passes with that? Are we industry? <laughs> what are we going to be? What, what, kind of, what kind of backstage access? We you get a Sunday this? visitor pass. That's uh, all you get. Sunday. Oh. <laughs> you get a kid one day. Uh, <laughs> 
All right, so we're going to talk about one of the most disgusting films that's ever been released. <laughs> it's uh, so awesome. <laughs> Exactly. So, I have to interject here. Um, <laughs> I picked this with the well. I, so every time I pick a Yuzna film, well, up until this time, I was like, "Hey, Matt, do you think that we can get Becca on or what?" Because like, <laughs> I know that you, the gooier, the better when it comes to, to. I mean, I don't. I'm not into the non-splitation, but I'm definitely into the gooey. <laughs> no, for some reason, um, gore has always kind of been my thing. And it's it's weird because I'm also very picky about my gore. Um, but this is kind of like my jam. And so um, I love this movie oh, yeah. so much. And it's weird because the gore is not like the gooey, street trashy, multicolored stuff, but it's like flesh. Yeah, and I mean, that's what makes it worse. Better yeah. and worse. And Dave loves street trash. That's definitely oh, yeah. one of your favorite movies. Um, no, yeah. I like the whole splatterpunk movement that just came out of that the, the late 80s. Yeah, that. there was definitely some some good stuff from that hey, time Dave, period. Can you explain your love in like a very short essay for street trash? Because I've watched it like, what, two and a half times for this podcast and hated it every time. Oh my God. It's so, it's just so exploitative. So you, you tell me why you love it. Well, that, you know, you just summed it up right there. So I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliantly shot. You have, uh, the, the Steadicam operator who since then has worked for, uh, uh Spielberg? Spielberg. He's, he's Spielberg's camera operator now. And, uh, the way it's shot is just so magnificent and, and, and beautiful with these uh, uh, Steadicam shots that are amazing. And, and add to that the Technicolor gore, the ridiculous storyline, and, and just the... Well, the effects, too. Yeah. I like mean, the effects were done um, by Jennifer... I can't remember her last name. Uh, um, but she had just come off of a couple trauma movies, and she's gone on to do some amazing stuff. And we actually... Dave and I worked with her when we did a show for The Nerdist um, called Blood and Guts. She's, and apparently she still has the the toilet one. The, the toilet, toilet monster guy. from yes. Street Trash is in her garage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good place for it. Um, yeah. yeah. So she owns a restaurant in Los Angeles mm-hmm. now called Cecina. Yeah. And, um, and I know that at, at one point, uh, I love this movie so much. I actually uh, toyed around with the idea of making a staged musical out of it. Uh, this is back when wow. a reanimator was like uh, hitting the stage. Yeah. It had a musical adaptation. I thought this could really be a neat little musical ad- adaptation. It, we still find it fascinating. No, it was right after we saw. Um, Evil Dead, and then we'd seen Evil Dead on Broadway, and then we had just moved to Los Angeles, and Graham Skipper is a friend of ours in our new movie, and uh, we went to see him in Reanimator, and Dave and I were just shooting kind of the shit about it. Mm-hmm. We were like, if we could turn any movies into musicals, what would it be? And we decided on Street Trash and Howard the Duck. Yes. Right there, we were like. <laughs> There is a brilliant Howard the Duck musical that exists, and we actually came up with some of the songs for Street Trash. We oh, and really, Howard the Duck. We came yeah. up with a few. And, oh, yeah, um, we had Cleveland. Because really, we're, we're, uh, <laughs> we're trying to EGOT, I think. <laughs> and we're covering all the bases. We're going to go into musical theater, and I think Howard the Duck will get us uh, the Tony. I think so. Well, do you know, we come from a musical theater background, musical theater and experimental theater, which is a really weird place to be. But that's actually how we met, was doing both of them simultaneously um, through our theater program. Right, we were, we were both working on uh, 
Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard. Yeah, we were in Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard, but a really weird, minimalistic yeah. version of Chekhov's The Cherry and, Orchard. And then we, at the same time, we're also working on a funny thing, thing happened happened on the way before. before. Um, <laughs> so. That's how we met. Um, and so then we discovered that we were both like huge horror fans and exploitation movie fans. Mm-hmm. And here we are like 20 years later. Yeah. But, but going a little bit back to Street Trash, and the other thing I really love about it is it's a time capsule of New York City during a certain period that when we were living in New York, it was the, the Disney yeah, Times we were, Square era yeah. and everything had been cleaned up. But that, that late 80s, early 90s grit you get, you get yeah, a, like a, a, like a basket case. Basket yeah. case catches that really yeah. well, too. Yeah. yeah, any of Abel Ferreira's <laughs> stuff. Yeah, but like, was it really that grimy or was that, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, Street Trash definitely amps it up. I mean, Street Trash is more of like a caricature. There was no like, you know, throwing penises and things like that. My great-grandparents were living in Brooklyn uh, during this time period. And when we went to visit them, they would we'd always get the don't go into the city. Don't go to Manhattan. It's it's crazy there. You'll get killed. And this is the late '80s, and it was still uh, still pretty uh, dark and gritty place. You know, and I do have to say, the few times that I've um, we lived near Abel Ferrero when Dave and I lived in New York, we lived in New York for um, a number of years while we were working for Fangoria, and I interviewed Abel Ferrera, and one of my questions you was a number when you can't remember. How yeah, I know. And uh, I, when I interviewed Abel Ferreira and Bill Lustig, actually, as well, talking yeah. about the films of yes. that time period, and Frank Kennenlauter, one of my questions was always, like, is it as bad as it looks in your films? Because, like, um, in Abel Ferreira's Driller Killer, he's showing just people just vomiting on the streets. Mm-hmm. And um, then just keep, keep walking, and they're just vomiting. And they and, were really people living on the streets? Yeah, and he, <laughs> they all told me, you know, it, it was pretty freaking bad. So um, I don't think it was quite street trash grade bad, mm-hmm. but I'd say that, you know, street trash was definitely um, trying to mirror real life and well, then amp it up a bit. But I don't think there were too many, like, Tolkien-esque societies living in the in the junkyards there. With, like, yeah, that's kings. true. Kings yeah. and, uh, I mean, yeah. yeah. That's true. It is really Tolkien-esque. It is. Right. You have, like, you, I mean, you have- We just really elevated street trash here. There's a society. You heard it first. It's like the Game of Thrones in New York City underground homeless. That they appease and and are afraid of that runs the whole place. There is that whole breakdown of uh, feudal society. Wow. Man, that's So it is the most genius movie of yeah, we're going to turn it into a musical. That said, it's really bleak. Like, Street Trash, um, even though it is Technicolor and it's clearly being shot like a comedy, it is a bleak film. Oh, like, yeah, there, is, yeah. there is very little redeeming about that aside from this kind of forlorn love. And um, none going of the characters on. are going to rise out of their position. And you kind of know it from the beginning. So we're here to talk about society. Well, yeah, they are the opposite end of the spectrum. (laughs) They really are. But yet they feel like the same film, Street Trash and Society. They um, definitely are the opposite ends of the socioeconomic spectrum. Um, But at the same time, it still has that kind of body mortification, the idea of feeding off somebody Mm -hmm. of, um, and even the idea of exploiting the lower class is still really prevalent in both of them. 
So, yeah. Well, it's funny because when you guys mentioned writing a musical, I got so lost for a second that I thought you were talking about a musical on society, which I think society would be an amazing musical oh, as yeah. well, honestly. Oh, I'd love that. Pretty much it. Dave and I would totally write a musical I will on write any a musical of that. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. off air, let's let's rap about that because that yeah. should happen. <laughs> Not the street trash one. <laughs> well, and also, yeah, it's, it's, uh, how would you stage that shunting on stage? Oh, my God. I would go kabuki theater with like strips of fabric. Yes. I was just about yeah. to say kabuki theater and like shit like that. Absolutely. So society kicks off with a credit that I don't think I've ever seen in a movie before, which is surrealistic makeup effects by Screaming Mad George. Mad George. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> who we love. Um, who now teaches. Uh, he teaches at a film school in Tokyo. Yeah. And um, I, I could see him giving himself that title. He. This is. He's more artist than. Uh, I mean, like he definitely did um, movie effects, but I mean, when you look at his stuff, you see it's so much more Dolly than anything else. Like it's a work of art, mm-hmm. and um, and Dave how he approached it too. Yeah, as he was creating art out of these bodies, and I mean, they're almost when you look at kind of the final orgy scene. I mean, it's got. Um, mirror images of each other it's clearly he is trying to create an almost kind of panoramic view of everything and he went to say that you know he was definitely looking at a lot of dolly's works when he did Mm -hmm. this and it totally makes sense Um, there was um i wish i could i should have done a little bit more research but there was a quote he mentioned about like a dolly-esque horror that he was trying to do like uh, there's a painting called the great masturbator that's the one one. thank you how did i forget the great masturbator i know (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was Um, the other name for street trash (laughs) (laughs) high school nickname but yeah screaming Matt george i mean he did a couple of usna ones um and i mean the usna film the other one that has just these crazy effects um which i believe were by him is really hard to find the the necronomicon book of the dead one with jeff yes it's so good so good david i have the vhs copy but i don't know if it's been released to anything the only way that i can watch it is i got the um you know the vhs ps rip of it that's just the vhs tape on a dvd but Mm -hmm. yeah it's so gooey and good like it's really really good no, and the, the actual, the Usna segment in it is by far the best one because that's where it's got like, people's the, heads the flipping open. Bats. And that yeah. is the one with Jeffrey Combs. I think that's the Usna one. But oh, the, the, the one with Jeffrey the Combs wrap is the wraparound. The, so it, oh, it, thank it, you. Yeah. It's, it's one that I've wanted to discuss on the podcast many times, but we kind of have moved to, towards a no anthologies rule just because it's so hard to stay on topic. But Necronomicon will break the rule for some time because <laughs> it's just so, so good. And, and it's it doesn't have like a modern release, but I watched it on YouTube, which is at least enough for me to talk about it, you know. And speaking of anthology films. <laughs> Oh, we just made an anthology. <laughs> well, you guys said you don't talk about anthology. So. Well, I think that we would also make a uh, uh, an exception because, you know, the people behind it are on the air right now. So. <laughs> Okay, so then tell tell us about uh, tell us about your film because it it's been almost a year since you finished it, right? And it's coming out. 
We uh, finished it. Um, no, actually, we finished it in the summer um, because oh, okay. we were still shooting in March yeah. of last year on the coldest night in history. Right. And uh, in Los Angeles, like you never think that Los Angeles dips below freezing. And it did on the night that we were shooting the parking lot segment. It was freezing. And as, as it was a Christmas movie, it wasn't one of those things where once we're done at the summer that we could just release it at Christmas. Yeah, you know, we finished. We kind yeah. of missed that cutoff. Yeah, <laughs> like we we wrapped in March, and I think we had a final cut done by um, and everything. Like we had everything done by June, and then it was like, a, okay, now let's wait for six months for Christmas to roll around. Right. Um, but hey, it's releasing now, and uh, all the creatures were stirring. It is a Christmas horror anthology, and uh, we go. We're in Red Box now. And we go to um, DVD, Walmart, and all the VOD platforms, um, iTunes, Amazon, stuff like that, on December 4th. We go to Shutter on December 13th, and then we do our big Blu-ray release in January. So, yeah. yeah. And it's That's uh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. you'll see a lot of kind of horror regular folks in there um, just because we we have worked so much in the horror community um, for the past several decades. Um, yeah, and it really was – it was a love letter to everything we enjoy in horror. Yeah. All the styles that we wanted to take on, uh, the people we wanted to work with. It was just – you know, it's weird, but, you know. Yeah, we had just, a lot of fun. It was what we wanted to do. We wanted to – Take some styles that we'd grown up with, like uh, Italian giallo. Yeah, we do a giallo segment. Uh, we wanted to do something that was kind of a love letter to the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, the, yeah. the Joe Dante films of the 80s. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, now I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think I emailed Becca when this happened, but I went to my with my friend to see Crazy Rich Asians. And I was like, why is oh, yeah. Constance You look so familiar? <laughs> and then I, I look on her IMDb page and I went, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, she's in the movie, yeah. um, which was awesome. <laughs> she was great to work yeah, with. Yeah, she was, she was great. So yeah. Well, in that scene that she yeah. was in. And- Going in, um, because it is a horror comedy, um, Dave and I knew we wanted to cast a lot of sitcom actors. Um, so we went with like Jonathan Kite, who at the time was on Two Broke Girls. Um, we Amanda, Amanda Fuller, who is still on Last Man Standing, the Tim Allen um, sitcom. And she's and, also in Orange is the New Black. Yeah, and Constance Wu. And so, yeah, we knew we wanted to go with um, more comedic actors. And even when we were doing um, our casting within the horror people, we looked for people who we knew had a lot of comedic chops, like Grant Skipper and Jesse Merlin and Chase Williams. Uh, Matthew and Mercer. Matthew Mercer, yeah. We specifically um, sought out people that we knew could really carry a comedic tone as well. Well, go and check that out. Uh, it should be on iTunes and stuff like that by now, because it'll be coming to Shutters in a couple days. Uh, so, now... So, so I have some, one thing I really have... Oh, two things I really have to say that just, like, I don't, I don't want to steamroll through... Um, we don't have to talk about him, but um, I just really want to point out that uh, cheerleader Shauna, the girlfriend, is in um, Slumber Party Massacre 2, which is one of my top five favorite horror movies ever, and Friday the 13th Part 7. Mm-hmm. And then we- My favorite Friday the 13th. People will argue with me to the end of time over that one. But I won't argue shit, with you, but yeah. As soon as shit gets telekinetic, I'm like there. <laughs> I, I back away from my friend. <laughs> <laughs> But the other thing I wanted to say is that this movie is so gross, not because of the gooiness, but rather the audio. Like this movie mm. grosses me out just with the audio. And I don't think I know any other movie that can do that. Well, the audio is a plot point in it too. Yeah, because yeah. he yeah. the yeah. videotape yeah. of his parents, like weird. 
and then it gets erased and then somebody's like oh no it's real and so the audio becomes a plot point so i'm sure that yuzna was like hey guys this needs to be really really um because it's kind of what kickstarts everything like he catches a glimpse of his sister doing some twisty moves in the shower but oh the back boobs yeah, yeah mm-hmm. the majority of the plot line kind of our MacGuffin is built out of that audio tape so i'm sure that yuzna was like this has to sound like fucking amazing and it does and then at the end it just gets so gooey it sounds like silly putty being rubbed together (laughs) well that's like one of my notes i wrote down was i was like the first hour of this movie is good but the last 30 minutes is just a masterpiece like you can't look away from it when that when the shunt begins to happen um before that though the one thing that i definitely wanted to bring up is the scene at the beach because there's a mm-hmm. lot of things that happen in that beach that that drew attention to me. First of all, <laughs> kudos to those children because that is an incredible amount of sunscreen that they were able to spray onto that girl's yeah. face. Oh my god, so much sunscreen in the face. And the, uh, that's very Freudian. Uh, that seems very Freudian. The giant monster that that uh, uh, intimidates him at the end of that scene. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, no, Clarissa's mom, who looks like she just wandered off of a John Waters set. Yes, in this movie. exactly. <laughs> when I first saw it, I thought that was divine for a second. Yeah, like, <laughs> she feels so out of place in this movie. Every mm-hmm. time she shows up, I'm like, I could do without this character. She really <laughs> brings nothing to it except for coughing up a hairball at one point. Well, and uh, Dave, as we were revisiting it, Dave was like, "Oh my God, there are so many '80s Playboy models." Oh yeah, this. it's late. It's that late '80s thongs and Playboy models movie. Yeah, um, <laughs> is that your thing it, though? Like, is that is the the the, the thong over the hips? Like, oh, like those that, high goes up to the underarms. Well, you like you love those like Andy Sedaris movies. Oh my god, yeah. So yeah, that that's kind of kind of like the long butt thong. The long butt, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> back when long butts were in style, and yeah, that's. Um, I think one of them was a Playboy model too. The uh, the really? evil. Girl, the girlfriend, the, girl, the, yeah, the rival to the girlfriend was a was a Playboy model. But, oh, that would explain okay. your acting abilities. Yeah. Is that <laughs> is that Kelly Bundy era of television? So much hair, film? and then even having a character that's obsessed with hair is just you know kind of par for the course mm-hmm. on this one. But yes, yeah, so much hair. The, so when I was reading up on the movie this morning before we recorded, like. There's a lot of elements that were last second editions, like everything with the therapist, which I find mm-hmm. really interesting because that's so kind of key to the rest of the plot for that to be like a, a last second edition. It really does become kind of the Greek chorus of everything where it's because um, it's always hard to find a way to get your characters to get out, you know, their their emotions, kind mm-hmm. of their inner emotions without having them just say it to somebody. So the, yeah, the inclusion of the therapist is actually like a really smart way to do it. And it really does offer a nice framing device. It, it ties all the scenes together it as, does. as it needs to be. It's kind of a wraparound for that. Yeah, it does. It feels very wraparoundy. Like you said, it ties the movie together and it actually provides some like really weird scene. Like the opening scene is so strange with him like biting into an apple and it's filled with worms and like, to think that none of that would have been there, like the, mm-hmm. like the, it just would have started with the credits and gone right into like this guy's perfect life. Yeah, the thing I liked the most about that was when he returns to the um, the therapist's office, he bites an apple, and you get this like obvious look of oh good, no worms. <laughs> it's just such a blatant delivery of that. Yeah. 
I would have been really gun shy about eating an apple from that guy's office if like I ever got a bug in it. I don't know. It just yeah, yeah, the first one's rotten. You just don't take from that same bowl when you go back. He puts the apple back in the bowl after he he took a bite of it. Really? Yeah, he does. I remember that. that. For some reason, I remember he bites the apple and goes, oh, good, no worms. Then he turns his like, the doctor (laughs) says something that makes him go, oh, there might be worms in this. And he puts it back in the bowl. He said so much without saying a word. Wow. Do you know there are offices that have fresh fruit in them? Probably not. I've never really gone to somebody's office. Well, it's Beverly Hills. Maybe they all have apples. So therapeutic apples. (laughs) Therapeutic apples. (laughs) I think that was an Asian pear, though. Oh, it could have been. It looked like Asian pear. Brown? We love Asian pears. That's my my go to fruit of choice. That would be a Beverly Hills fruit. <laughs> hey, hey, Becca. Um, yeah. I I made a delicious Bosque pear tart for Thanksgiving. So, I mean, if that's up your alley, you might want to look into to making one of those next time you have Bosque to pick something. Pear. I think we have some of those in the we kitchen might, right now. Yeah. yeah, that sounds very artistic, though. Bosque. Hey, hey Matt, leave that in. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. The other thing that kind of struck me is so weird in this movie is any sequence with the school debates, because that was something that like my school didn't really have. Yeah, we had full debate. We had a debate team, but they didn't go in front of the school and uh, and debate. That's what I mean, like debate team. I get, but like when you're running for class president, having like multiple debates before uh-huh. like. Your your election, quote unquote. We, we had did, campaign but, speeches. Yeah, we had yeah. campaign speeches. I like, remember they went up there. They yeah. said something. They were usually running unopposed because I had like hundred people in my class, and uh, yeah, that's what we had. Yeah, but I think that this one, the movie, really tries to play up the political angle because it is so much um, about kind of the the society and the upper crusty and the idea of politics and things like that. Um, so the idea that he was like a shoe in for class president and seems to be on the up and up. Up until he stops feeling it. I think that they really went out of their way to show that, you know, that he was really fighting for something before just out of nowhere, he suddenly goes, I don't, I don't feel this anymore. I did love how the dweeb candidate had such a heavy uh, campaign manager, like, <laughs> just that, that thug campaign manager he had. Yeah, that was great. That makes sense. I didn't even think about that. But that all ties back into the like, hey, I've got an internship in Washington and like all of the like this is kind of the training ground for an actual political run to get the society even higher up. Yeah, no, I think that what they're trying to show is that um, these aliens are probably already really ingrained in politics mm-hmm. and are already kind of running the country and feeding off the poor. Well, yeah, they um, have the judge that is one of them. Yeah, like they're they're going out of their way to show that you know these people run the world and uh, that it is they're just you know kind of keeping control of everything. Mm-hmm. I hate to be that guy, but um, they're not aliens. They said so. They're not aliens? They're not aliens. I, I yeah. Always yeah, I'd always thought they were aliens. They literally say, we are not aliens. <laughs> <laughs> this was my first time watching the movie start to finish. I've seen all the iconic scenes, but I've never watched it from start to finish. And um, that blew me away. That's the only reason it stuck in my head is because they, at the end, he goes, you alien scum or something like that. And they're like, no, we're not aliens. We're just like you, but better or something like that. I can't remember the exact same, the exact line, but literally they are humans. They're just a different kind of human. That like, they're like slugs and shunt. Been here. So they're like yeah. more of an evolved human. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. The, okay. well, because the rich have always sucked off low case mm-hmm. shit like us. Um, <laughs> yeah, and this movie comes in kind of at the tail end of that die yuppie Consum- scum attitude. Consumption, yeah. 
Yeah, because we had the the 80s and the excess of the 80s with the yuppies, Mm -hmm. uh, the die yuppie scum movement, and then we get this right at the tail end. Well, I mean, there's many reasons that this movie may not have done as well in the U.S. as I would like Mm -hmm. for it to have. But I think the fact that they held it for a couple of years probably didn't help that because it was Mm -hmm. 1989 was like the peak of like 80s culture. Mm -hmm. Die yuppie scum. And if you look at everything else that was coming out this year, it was that year, 1989, it was very sacred and stuff like look who's talking and parenthood and stuff like the that. The rise of the rom-com. Yeah. Then to have this and they ended up holding this for a while um, until 90, 1992. 92. Yeah. And yeah. it went through X ratings <clears throat> and problems with release and things like that. And so then by the time it finally did come out in 92, I think a lot of the kind of 80s, um, you know, kind of Gordon Gecko, it, it had the edge had been taken off. It was still there, but it was not at quite the same fervor that it was in 89. And so that combined with the fact that there is uh, a shunting scene kind of um, damaged the movie a bit. Yeah. And you also have, we just ended, you know, the Bush presidency. We're going into the the Clinton nineties. This isn't a movie that screams Clinton. Yeah. This isn't the grungier movie. Yeah. But that said, it did um, really well in Europe. And what's weird is one of my best friends, Elric Kane, who I co-host Shockwaves with, whereas with me, this was like a video store find. Like I, I stumbled on this in a video store when I was in high school and was like, what the hell's this? I've never even heard of it. Um, and it was just always kind of an underground cult hit for me that, you know, you didn't watch with your parents around. Elric remembers a completely different reception for it in New Zealand, where like it played theaters, it ran on television, it was like a major film. Um, It was like a major film release, so it's just kind of like differences of uh, of the culture and how it's you know was playing there. Um, So Elric and I have talked about that on the show many times about how for us it was quickly buried and still has had spotty release history, as opposed to it's a major movie that everyone loves. We all know society. I probably wouldn't have seen this if I hadn't have worked at a video store at the time. Yeah. I just saw it come in. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I remember seeing the cover all the time at the video store and it didn't look like anything that was really grabbing my attention because I was like, I don't know, I had to be like 13 or 14 walking around a mom and pop's video store and I was looking for more full moon pictures and more slasher films. So this kind of went under the radar and then college comes around and now I really want to see it and I can't find it anywhere. And I felt like I really missed the opportunity in the VHS days. And I didn't see it until I, I had to buy like a bootleg of it at, at like Monster Mania in Cherry Hill. That was the only way I could find it for the longest time. Yeah, that's why I hadn't seen it until until like the whole thing until specifically watching it for the show, because I worked at a video store in high school and we didn't have a copy of it. No, I definitely found this at like our mom and pop video store in my little tiny Virginia hometown. Um, And the one I worked for was just, it was like a mom and pop shack that that, uh, they got it in. Yeah, this wasn't at the Blockbusters. For sure. <laughs> no, 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 they, yeah. they had shit like Little Witches, but they didn't have <laughs> a society. I rather enjoy Little Witches, but that's another show. <laughs> um, I mean, we can talk about that some other time, but <laughs> son of a bitch. It was like 10 minutes ago. I, I was like, oh, I have, a, I have a comment that I wanted to say, but we got off topic. Maybe um, Howard the Duck musical. Howard the Duck musical. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. We did an episode, a bonus episode on Howard the Duck a couple months ago. And um, have you watched uh, that recently? Yeah. Um, yeah. I have not. Um, all I remember Don't. is... I mean, it's, um, not, it's not watchable. I remember the songs because she actually sang in it. They did that. They call him Howard 
the duck. The duck. That one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember her name. The name of their band was Cherry Bomb. Yeah. But that's I, about yeah. all I got. I remember that and that the villain uh, actor got arrested. Yeah. But we always liked thing. the comics. So um, we were kind of like, you know what? We'll, we'll base more off the comic than uh, the actual movie. Oh, yeah. oh, that's what I was going to say. Thank you so much for mentioning comics. So um, I, I know – well, Dave, did you work on on Hellraiser with Becca? I did. did you guys do that together? Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, we co-wrote that. Okay. Both so, of them. Both of them. all right. So, so um, my all-time favorite. Scott, did we lose you? We're never going to know what his all-time favorite. Oh my is. God! Is all-time favorite? <laughs> <laughs> right wait, wait! I'm right here. Oh, there he is! There he is! Okay. <laughs> okay, we need closure. Oh my God, Scott! What is your all-time favorite? Uh, so my all-time favorite is Swamp Thing, Alan Moore. <laughs> that is, um, I have not read that comic, but both Elric and Ryan, who I co-host with, are huge fans of that. Oh, and, it's so um, good. Yeah, they both say it's amazing. I will say that that movie grossed me out for like one Wait, which thing. one? Return the, or the original? The original. Um, there is a part where somebody bleeds white. And for some reason, I found that to be the grossest thing I'd ever seen in a movie. <laughs> it's like a plant. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, I know it was a plant, but it was just weird that this like white, milky stuff Have was coming you out. Ever, it just, like, it's disgusting. If you pick a daffodil, it's all like yeah, there's white. goo in it. Yeah, I know, but for some reason, <laughs> that disgusted me. <laughs> anything I've ever seen in any other movie. Street trash, totally fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 fine. Oh my god, he's bleeding white. white. Stuff. <laughs> bleeding white is just gross. <laughs> The Hellblazer, like I think it was the is it Warren Ellis that did Hellblazer originally, the Constantine Hellblazer stuff. Was that Warren Ellis or Garth Ennis? I am not sure on that one. I can't remember the name of the story, but it's I think it was a self-contained issue or two. And it was about these this um, couple that were the conspicuous consumption 1980s yuppie types, Mm -hmm. but they were actually demons. And it was like keeping up with the Joneses, but there are all different demons that were trying to keep up with each other and society and stuff. it, It just seemed like a very interesting tangent to ask if either of you had read it. And if you haven't, it's really good. It's I'm sure it's in some collection. I I have it in some graphic novel collection i'm sure that sounds awesome yeah i'd like to hear see that it might be only two issues or something like that it might be one issue but it was a really fun kind of inversion of that whole conspicuous consumption thing that society really talks about and and it's very funny that it was shelved for three years because yeah by 92 no one gave a shit everybody cared about grunge yeah, you know, like yeah, that was like the the we were starting to get into grunge at that point it was like the really, death of the hair metal and, and there were so many movies in the 80s that fit into to society's category just even like wall street and bright lights big city uh these are all things that less than zero less than zero yeah yeah, oh, yeah. there's like a whole movement of these movies that talk about the excess of of society that this movie would have fit in great with mm-hmm. yeah like billy's sleepaway camp level booty shorts in the beginning of this movie oh, oh, man. Man. Well, he, i mean that was like you know predecessing oh, yeah. Watch, we so. were already, our, our shorts yeah. had gotten a lot longer yeah since. and i think that, uh, that they did cast such like a hunky guy for that role but yet he's still very kind of befuddled and everything I and mean, mulleted he, and mulleted yes very mulleted Ooh, yes let's talk about 
the best part of this movie. Let's talk about our favorite moments from the shunt. What are your there's because there's so much. It's just 20 minutes. How can you even pick sanity? Uh, I mean, I got to go with the pulling his head through his ass. Yeah. Legendary. I like when the different heads start coming out. Uh, Then you get the sister and everything. And it's just so weird. That's the big The mom with the hands for feet and the sister between her legs Mm -hmm. is just insanity to me. Is that considered the shunt scene or is that a separate shunt or is it is it shunting when they rip somebody in ha- inside out or is it I whenever they the connect the second that people start taking off their clothes until the credits roll yeah, that's pretty much i mean that's that's what i think most people i think that technically shunting in general would be the moment that they go um kind of up the guy's posterior and pull him out the back side um i think is is kind of the the quintessential moment that most people think of it as but that said um i think that we could just you know it's the last 20 minutes of the movie yeah yeah and oh i do love this- that random hand that rubs um milo the the sexy cop uh mm-hmm. you know like his buddy who comes in with like the oh i heard that someone needs to get arrested and then he puts on he he like hits his boom box and starts stripping um but somebody some random hand from the shunt just like rubs his face and he smacks it away yeah there's no. a lot of like Looney Tunes esque things that happen in the shunt that I love, no. but it's still <laughs> so depraved. Like this is the most depraved shit, and it's so there's good. One of my favorite, and I don't even know why I love this moment, but there's a moment where a woman's mouth is attached to a guy's chest, and she starts pulling away, <laughs> and it actually starts like the the mouth starts twisting. And for some reason, I really like the effects on that one particular shot. Just a long. It's just like a super lips. long yeah. mouth, and I really just love the effects there that they did with it. Yeah. Um, I, I also that scene from Who Framed Roger Rabbit when he yes. he goes up to the building and he sees that cart that that hot the back side of this woman. And he's like, oh, she's beautiful. Turns around, and it's give me a kiss, yeah. and the mouth sticks out. <laughs> yeah. That's some uh, uh, kinder trauma. Is that what? uh, Kinder trauma, definitely. Not that term you guys use. Uh, I'm a big fan of the head towards the very end with the eye uh, with the fingers coming out of the eyeballs and the mouth hole mm-hmm. before the pull inside out um because it's, it's like just, uh it's like uh an inside like the inside of a bowling ball almost yeah <laughs> well i really wanted to see the party end like how do they all come back into their forms and, <laughs> and then they just, make sure that you have all your parts they just and, walk away yeah. the next day um i also enjoy how kind of gooey it is um that it's not just flesh i mean because if you look at your skin unless you haven't showered for a very long time um skin is not shiny like that yeah. but in this scene it looks like they've coated every single person in like olive oil oh it's a natural right? <laughs> yeah like yeah, it's very sweaty. There's like this this lubricant going on with all of them, and so it it doesn't even feel like normal skin. It just feels um, very gooey. It, it ups the ante on the goo. I will say that with all the incredible special effects in this movie, it really makes the butt head seem very lackluster by comparison. Oh, yeah. It does. And that's what they always put on the cover for some reason. And it's you know it's a spoiler funny. though. Yeah, it's funny, it's amusing, but it's not, like, my favorite scene. I'm wondering if uh, screaming wasn't, like, off stage with some kind of hose Just to constantly them down. spray down the olive shunt. So <laughs> you know, that wasn't olive oil. That's fucking KY. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, like, yeah, a big barrel of KY. Sense. 
You know, there's a movie um, that just came out. It is, um, I can't, South American horror. I want to say like Argentinian called Terrified. It's running on Shudder right now. But there's a lot of kind of body um, horror effects in that, that as I was watching it, I was like, wow, that was Yuzna-ish. Just because it does kind of have that body morphing stuff going on in it. Oh, highly recommend it. It was really good. Yeah, I didn't get to see it because I uh, it was playing at Fantastic Fest at the exact mm-hmm. same time as You Might Be the Killer, and that was way more up my alley. Was yeah. a hyper meta slasher film uh, that is we uh, we just had the director on recently. It's amazing. So if you haven't seen Becca, let me set you up for this because this is kind of right up your alley. <laughs> Premise of the movie is a dude wakes up covered in blood at his summer camp. And realizes that all of his counselors are dead, but he can't remember what happened. And he's trying to remember if he was the person that killed everybody. Ooh, okay, yeah, I'm in. That is. I do. um, Dave and I both, we love anything that sets up a mystery, which (laughs) is, um, it's kind of my love of um, a subgenre that doesn't exist that I say it exists, which is five people in a room, how the hell did they get there and who's going to die (laughs) subgenre. There's Um, so many movies that fit that plot. We don't know what to call it. Um, And so I always... um, and it's the the shove five people in a room. How did they get there? Why are they there? And how are they getting out before how everybody are they all dies? Connected? And yeah, and we love those movies. Um, we, I think we've seen most of oh, them. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, anytime that it sets up kind of a mystery of why everybody's there, what's going on, or who's going to die, or anything like that, and that sounds almost like a. Um, after hours, is that the one where he wakes up and doesn't remember anything? No, no. no. What's um, the one I'm thinking of? It happened one night. No, I'm just naming titles now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, there is a movie that you and I used to watch where um, a guy wakes up and can't remember the night, and he's retracing his steps through the uh, Well, anyway, this is a movie that we watched together, so um, and neither of us can remember it. So why are we even talking about it? Oh God. <laughs> Well, Becca, I've got a I've got a name for the genre you're looking for, yes. uh, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to steal it f- right from the Twilight Zone. But the genre should be called Five Characters in Search of an Exit." After oh, yes. it's an episode of the same name. Yes. Yeah, and I do have to say, like, if we really want to go back, I'd say that Boonwell characters in search of an author. No, I was going to say Boonwell's exiting angel or uh, <laughs> exterminating angel. Oh yeah, um, which is it's no exit. I mean, it's it's definitely no exit. But yeah, I mean, we could go no exit. But Boonwell did. The five characters trapped in a room, they can't get out. But he made it very up, we'll, upper crusty. We'll call um, it very Sartre esque. Yeah, very Sartre. So, yeah. Would you consider Cube to be in that? Uh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I consider that to be kind of one of the most well known ones. Well, even the um, Saw films. Have exam. A yeah, I was thinking Saw. Yeah. Exam's oh, a really good one. The Killing Room. Would you rather? Yeah, would you? I didn't enjoy that as much as I wanted to. No, um, same same with Circle was another one where the premise and the setup and how it's people in a room and they discover that if they move out of the circle, they immediately get electrocuted um, and they don't know how it's working or why. And, you know, kind of uncovering it. I was so into that movie until the very end. And then I was like, Oh, um, okay. It's exactly what you think it is. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's kind of, um, we love those movies and one day we will write one, Um, but they're not very popular right now. We've pitched a few and everybody's like, man, one room. in the late 2000s. Late 2000s, aunts, um, because that's when the budgets in Hollywood really started plummeting. Um, kind of when the VOD market started to rise and the DVD market crashed. Um, all of a sudden, in the late aughts, you suddenly see this like a uh, hustle to get movies made for like a couple hundred thousand dollars. 
And so your most, your biggest expenses are cast and location. So let's shove five people in a room and see what we can make it, you know, work. And you can still get production value a little bit, but have it, you know, made for 300,000. And so there was a huge boom of those during that time, um, especially post saw the kind of mind game movies, but there haven't been any lately and no one wants them. Um, All right. Well, so- everyone has to go see escape room then when it comes yes! out. Oh my God. Now that one is not going to be like that because apparently that, um, shifts there's giant effects in it it's not a three hundred thousand dollar movie it looks awesome though but we'll all go see it we'll it'll make a lot of money and then you and dave can try to resell your five people in a search exactly. of <laughs> this is what we do we we look out for <laughs> is there anything else anyone wants to add about society before we wrap it up is that what we we're talking about yeah <laughs> I have, um, I do have to say, I have the Arrow video release in front of me of Society, like the big fancy box set that they did, and it's awesome, and has a really cool comic book with it Ooh. called You're Society selling. Party Animal. And also, I was really bummed that there was another that there was never a sequel to this. Usna actually had one keyed up, um, Society to Body Modification, um, that he was looking at doing during the '90s, and I wish that it happened, and I really want to read the script. You know what probably killed that? Strange land. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess so a little bit. Yeah, the DC I, I was just joking, but I mean, it's because that movie, like, they hyped that shit so hard. Oh my god, it, yeah, no, that was that was it. Is it's like all about the body modification and everything, and the infamous uh, lip sewing scene. But yeah, that was. Um, I wonder if that did it. So. Is, is I have no idea. Body modification. I think so. I have no idea what was supposed melding. to go into that, but um, I wish <laughs> if the script exists on the internet, someone please. Find me and find it and connect us. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. Ah, the smell of the video store. I love this place. Do you remember when you could just look at the walls of covers? We had to choose just by looking at the cover and reading the crappy synopsis. It was, you were leaving with one. And the only way to know what new movies were coming out is you actually had to watch the trailers instead of skipping them. Right, we didn't have the internet to look it up. We had one guy named Todd behind the counter that would (laughs) tell us what was good or not. And Todd strangely liked way too many romantic comedies. Yes, but you always knew when the boobies were coming because Todd made sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and remember all the awful CG we had to put up with in the mid-90s? We talk about that a lot, don't we? 
Join us on Analog Jones and the Temple Film, where we talk about VHS tapes. And we wax nostalgia like none other. <laughs> All right, then what is everybody's society double feature? Uh, for Becca and Dave, if you're not familiar with this element of our show, we pick a movie that would be a lovely second feature to watch if you were having a nice night inside. Uh, I'll kick it off with The Blob from 1988. I feel Ooh, like this would be a really yeah. good nice. like. You watch you watch the shunt and then you're like, I want to see more of that, and you pop in the blob remake. I'm honestly, um, I would there's two that I would say. I would say get out or the purge because of the socioeconomical elements of it. Um, but then I because I it does have that tone to it, the kind of, you know, it's clearly a political statement. Um, but purely on kind of a fun paranoia level, I would say um the Abel Ferreira Body Snatchers remake. Mm. Is that the one from the 90s or the 70s? The 90s. Yeah, is that one actually worth watching? It's good. It's actually pretty decent. I don't mind. Or I'm, yeah, that's the one. I don't mind it. Um, the seventies is is great, but I think in this one, that's a review continue, you want to read. I, I don't mind. It. I don't mind. It. I, I actually <laughs> see that on shockwaves a lot, and it means that it it actually kind of holds its own. Um, yeah, it it does not piss me off. No, I actually I enjoy it. Um, so that was the Abel Ferrero one yeah. from the nineties. Um, but I mean, the seventies one is definitely. definitely Definitely, definitely the superior film. But I think to match with kind of the the tone of this one and the time period that it's set in, I think that uh, the 90s would one would be my go-to. Well, I think we've already mentioned the one I would go to, Street Trash Society, just to get that little yeah. yuppie yeah. New York vibe. That would be a rough three hours, all right? Oh like, that's a lot to su- stomach all at that once. That is a lot. Or even a uh, basket case. Basket case might not be bad because that does have kind of the, the body um, horror element. One good. or two. Two. I was going to say basket two, case. Because two a little is bit more. a little bit more. Yeah, Actually, I, I took it all back. I would go uh, uh, the one with Elmer. Brain damage. Brain damage. Oh, brain damage. Yeah. They're both horror comedies. It would feel a little bit lighter. And they, yeah, have the social, they have the social commentary because brain damage is about drug addiction. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Totally. All right. Well, Scott. I mean, I'm not interesting at all. I'm just going to go with the other gooeyest movie I can think of, which is Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation, which I wanted <laughs> Becca to come on. <laughs> um, I, wanted, I wanted Becca to come on for that when we discussed it for Christmas in July, but it didn't work <laughs> out. But um, again. Wait, the brain Three. I need to watch. Yeah, no, the witch one, uh, the witches, the coven, and like the the, the bugs, and 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 Clint Howard, and (laughs) pretty much anything with Clint Howard in it, I'm going to watch. Which brings me to another one of my. He lives near us, but yeah, he does. I've seen him around town. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but that brings me to one of my favorite Clint Howard gooey films, Ticks. Which, if you guys have listened, yes, so good. (laughs) <laughs> I heard Tix fan. Um, but All yeah. about the dangers of marijuana. The dangers yeah. of marijuana. That's and, oh, and you could do you could do ticks and brain damage as your drug PSA double feature. There oh my go. gosh! Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. With a little uh, liquid sky for a triple feature. Oh, uh, we're not okay. Yeah. Listen, no, no, no. <laughs> I love liquid sky. I, I know that's why I've I've listened enough to you guys talk about it. I don't want to watch liquid sky. It's weird. It's not a pleasant film. There's something that I find really intriguing about it. I want to like um, go back to when they were filming it and be like, now tell me about the chicken scene. I really, I just don't get it. The scene where they like chant that they're chickens and then they 
turn it into a song. I still like, want to know if they're taking performance artists seriously or mocking, mocking them. Yeah. Dave and I have had this discussion. Tell. We can't tell if it's making fun or trying to enhance it. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, an interesting place to be. Movement. Are they trying to make a statement or become part of it? And I don't know. Yeah, um, I because still, it feels I like a combination of both. My, my music box or my sound box. Yeah, my rhythm box. Rhythm box. My rhythm box. It yeah, my it rhythm box. Yeah. yeah. There's so much of it that we're like, oh, this is definitely part of the the you know, the really performative art crowd, but then it feels like it's mocking it. So who knows? It's wonderful. (laughs) All right. Well, one last time, where can people go and check out all the creatures we're stirring before we completely wrap up the episode? So you can find information about all the creatures we're stirring on our Facebook page, on our Twitter. We're being put out by RLJ entertainment. So you can definitely find them as well. Um, We are in red box right now. We will be on VOD platforms, Amazon, iTunes, all that grand stuff on um, December 4th. We hit shutter December 13th. And then we do Blu-ray sometime in January. And you can find Dave and I on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the same stuff. And you can listen to both of our respected podcasts. Um, I co-host Shockwaves and Dave. I co-host uh, and co-host, I guess. Yeah. How do I say that? <laughs> Fear Initiative, which is also on the Blumhouse Podcast ne- Network. Mm-hmm. Do a quick explanation of Fear Initiative for listeners who don't know what it is because it's, I mean, I, I think that since it's a little bit outside of what Horror Movie Night does, it's it's cool to get an explanation from the, the host. Yeah, so I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since middle school, and uh, it's been a, a you know I've enjoyed it and loved it for for many years. And I got inspiration from a lot of the uh, the D and D podcasts that were out there, where uh, we sit around, we play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm the dungeon master, and uh, yeah, I don't know if I can go more than that. It's I, all horror themed. It is That's horror themed. Yeah. It's, it's like horror Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Yeah, right. it's very it's it focuses, adventure zone, basically. Yeah. yeah, it focuses on monsters, scary setups, um, yeah, and you you create a lot of the storyline yeah. because they don't really exist in any of the books or manuals. Or so anything. yeah, the storyline is completely created. It's group storytelling. So it's kind of, it's created by all of us, uh, uh, all the members and all the players and it's made up as we go. Some of it, we've, uh, invented some, uh, monsters that are more fitting with, uh, with the horror community, I know we have a monster that is uh, the thing-oriented. Yeah, um, you've done. And Dave will actually pull from movies where he'll be like, how can I put a Freddy Krueger-esque creature into this? Yeah. So it becomes kind of like a dream demon and things like that. So it pulls a lot from horror movies. Yeah, and you can also hear me do terrible accents. <laughs> uh, because I am not a voiceover artist in any capacity. Um, but you're a good DM from what I, I I do my best to DM. <laughs> Anything that convinces more people to play D and D is a good thing to me. So I agree. I really do. I want to. <laughs> it's so therapeutic. It's fun. It brings a lot of people together, and uh, I, I think it has so many good uses that I, I'd love to see more people play it. Well, and I think a lot of people are afraid of it. And I do want to say real quick while you're talking about it that for me, I think my fondest D and D memories. The game is always like the least memorable part. Yeah, it's like being with a bunch of people and just having fun and laughing and inside jokes and all of the things that kind of stem from taking on another personality for sometimes 14, 15 hours. If you're 
only playing yeah. once a month with a big group. But oh yeah, and it's it's a great uh, it's a great pe- way for people to meet each other because on our show we brought together some people who had never played before, people who had never worked with before, and we are all like great friends now mm-hmm. after going on these adventures together. Yeah, a couple of them are in our movie as well, yep. like Megan Duffy, Morgan Peter Brown. Actually, Jeff Seidman, who was on Fear Initiative, edited our movie. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was just a really tight crew. Yeah. All right, everybody, we'll go download those podcasts if you haven't already. And thank you once again for joining us. We were talking about Society from 1989, as picked by Scott. Thank you again to Becca and David for joining us. And we will be back next week with another episode. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.